Um, have, you ever, have you ever made a promise that you wish you hadn't made? Um, you know, that uh, yes, I will. <clears throat> um, I mean, they can be just little things, right? Like, um, you know, promise to cut the neighbor's lawn or something or shovel their snow or pick something up or drop something off. Uh, I think I regret those ones more often when it's like, oh, I forgot to do it. I said I would and then I didn't. Um, yeah, so, so then, there are, then there are those more, so those, those weightier promises that we make. Um, maybe the, the most difficult ones are, are sort of those deathbed you know, um, requests. You know, before I die, will you please? Yeah, maybe you're here this morning because somebody made one of those to you. <laughs> so sometimes it works out. Um, uh, you know, but, but you're under the gun, right? You, you know, uh, okay, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, you know, I'll say anything to, you know, appease in this moment. You know, thank you. <laughs> you know, and then they're, done, they're gone. Um, then we got to live it out, right? Um, um, and if you look at the divorce statistics in our nation, um, the, the, the tragic statistics, uh, we would say that there's a lot of people who made a promise and then came to seriously regret um, making promise, you know, till death do us part. Um, I think Meatloaf had a song about that. Um, some of you are old enough to remember that. Um, praying till the end of time. Um, anyway. Um, we're, we're people who make promises. Um, we're, we're people who make promises and then sometimes wonder what the heck was I thinking um, when, I, when I did so. But we're also people who seek uh, promises. Uh, who we, we need promises. Uh, the nature of the world in which we live, uh, I, I would wager that the vast majority of us uh, will, in the course of our lifetimes, have signed many contracts, uh, uh, committing ourselves to something, someone else committing themselves to something, um, and, and yet our courts are chocker-blocked with uh, contested allegations. They promised, they didn't deliver, and, and, and so, you know, sometimes you wonder whether or not it's even worth the paper that it's written on or the legal fees you paid to pay the lawyer to, to write it up, right? The, the more personal and, and perhaps most painful are those, th those promises that were made perhaps less officially, uh, but I, I, bet every, I bet every one of us have experienced someone who's welched on a deal. You know, someone who said, I will, and then didn't. And, and, and in some cases, those are extremely painful circumstances that, um, that wound us, f f perhaps for our lifetimes. God is a promise-making, uh, but most substantially and significantly, he's also a promise-keeping God. And he's inviting you into a, a remarkably simple and, and yet simultaneously scary promise. And, and it's this, it's the promise to, to receive his love and then be one in response who lives out of that love, giving, giving that love. So I want, I want to invite you this morning, we're going to open up to Deuteronomy chapter 5 uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, you can follow along on the screen, or if you're looking it up digitally, I'm in, in the uh, New Living Translation. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and let me just invite you to follow along as, uh, as I read for us, and, and let's stand together as we, uh, as we attend to the word of the Lord to us this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'm going to read the first 29 verses, uh, starting at verse 1. Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, Listen carefully, Israel, 
Here are the decrees and regulations I am giving you today, so you may learn them and obey them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to, at the, sorry, at the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me, and I passed his words on to you. And this is what he said. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord, your God, brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord, your God, has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord, your God, commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The Lord spoke these words to all of you assembled there at the foot of the mountain. He spoke with a loud voice with, from the heart of the fire, surrounded by the clouds and deep darkness. This was all said at that time, and he wrote his words on two stone tablets and gave them to me. But when you heard the voice from the heart of the darkness, where the mountain was blazing with fire, all your tribal leaders and elders came to me. They said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the heart of the fire. Today we have seen that God can speak to us humans, and yet we live. But now, why should we risk death again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed by this awesome fire. Can any living thing hear the voice of the living God from the heart of the fire as we did and yet survive? Go yourself and listen to what the Lord our God says, then come and tell us everything he tells you, and we will listen and obey. The Lord heard the request you made to me and said, I have heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it and apply it this morning. You may be seated. 
That last verse that I read, verse 29, where, where God speaks to Moses and he says, oh, that they would always have hearts like this. We, we start to hear this fatherly heart of God, this, this desire that his children, children would respond to, to the love which is him, that would respond to the, the greatness which is him, would respond out of respect with, with obedience to who he is and what he has said in the, in the commissioning of the, look, this is how life is lived best. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. And along with hearing that fatherly heart of God, as he, as he longs for his children uh, to, to, to live successfully and well, uh, we also hear the ominous sort of prophetic tone that um, there's a fundamental brokenness in humanity, and it's going to get in the way of their, our consistent, persistent uh, living in this manner. And yet, the invitation is issued that we would be those who would receive his love and those who would live out of his love and, and give his love. So here's how we're going to kind of look at this text this morning. There are four fundamental questions that, that come out of, um, of this text. I'm going to address each of those. In about 20 minutes, I'm going to invite you to ask your questions. Um, we've been doing this over the past few weeks. Um, if you've got a question, uh, I would, the best way to receive it is to have you text it to me on the number behind me, uh, text or iMessage. Um, maybe it's a question... You, I've always had this question and I didn't address it. Uh, maybe I said something that you say, like, well, could you explain that a little more or, or something? Um, uh, or, or maybe you read this passage in advance and, and I, I didn't touch on something that's substantial or significant to you. And, and all I'm offering is just to do the best that I can um, in about a minute or two answer uh, and I will uh, attempt to scratch where you are itching. But for now, let me address these four questions. If you have your sermon notes, you can pull them out of your bulletin. Uh, I've listed the questions there. Maybe you want to take a note as you, you go along. Uh, but here are the four questions that, that come out of the text pr uh, pr uh, predominantly. Number one, what is covenant? Um, the, the second question would be, what principles govern this covenant relationship? Uh, a third question that comes out of this would be, at its most basic level, what is expected? Could, could we distill this down to something really fundamental? And, and then the fourth question is, why is covenant keeping so difficult? Um, so those are the questions I'm going to look at initially this morning, and then I'll uh, attempt to address questions that maybe I haven't touched on uh, that or, or need to touch on further um, that, uh, that you would pose. In, in verse 2 of what I read, chapter 5, it says that while we were at Mount Sinai, and we've been discussing over the past few weeks, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same place, um, referenced uh, in either way in Scripture. While we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God made a covenant with us. Um, at, at a very basic level, uh, a covenant is uh, an agreement between two or more parties outlining mutual rights and responsibilities. So it's, an, it's an agreement. So it's more than a promise. Um, it carries a far greater weight than a simple promise because there's a, an expectation that there's a, a binding nature to the covenant that's been, that's been made. And, and so a covenant would be a, a type of contract. Um, but where it differs from contracts, as we particularly, as we uh, genuine, genuinely, generally uh, experience them, contracts exist on a, a quid pro quo kind of basis, a something for something 
kind of basis. Uh, I read a contract with somebody to buy something. They signed the contract saying they're going to give me something. There's a something for something nature that's present in the vast majority of our contracts. And yet covenant attempts to stay clear of the something for something kind of relationship, the bartering kind of, of relationship. So, um, uh, 27 years ago, I made a covenant relationship with my wife, Anne, and promised her myself and uh, until death do us part. And she made, she made the same promise to me, um, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And, and so regardless of the circumstances, as part of the nature of the marriage covenant, we are going to be faithful to one another. I am giving myself to you um, rather than some kind of, uh, but only if, and if you can, and we, we, the covenant does not invite those kinds of language into, into the relationship. Moses is reminding his listeners here as they're standing on the plains of Moab, uh, north of the Dead Sea, looking across the Jordan Valley into the land of promise, into the land that God had promised to their ancestors, and now here they are. He's reminding them that they are in relationship with God, and God has made a, a covenant with them, a binding covenant. Um, Moses is, is speaking his last, um, his last message to the children of Israel before he would die. Uh, we'll encounter that by the time we get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the description of, of his passing. And so it's his opportunity to speak before he would pass the reins of leadership to the children of Israel off to Joshua, who would lead the people across the Jordan River and into the land. It's his, his final opportunity to exhort the second generation that he has been leading uh, since they left Egypt. They left Egypt a couple of months after they left Egypt. They ended up at Mount Sinai, um, the, the foot of Mount Sinai, where they uh, Moses had, uh, had previously encountered God in the burning bush and God had sent him into Egypt saying, uh, bring my people out. Um, he, he was obedient, he did that, brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And, and so in verse two when he says, the Lord did not make this covenant long ago with your ancestors but with all of us who are alive today. The Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire on the mountain. He's referring to 40 years previous uh, when perhaps some of these people, but specifically their parents, stood at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai and God engaged them in a covenant-making co uh, um, exercise. And, and it, was a, it was a repeating of the covenant promise that he had made to their, to their forefather, Abraham, great, 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 we're not sure how many greats, grandfather, Abraham, um, century, well, probably about 300 years before. Uh, he had encountered uh, uh, Abram as he was known then. A Abram means exalted father. He became Abraham, which means uh, father of a multitude or father of many nations. Uh, God, uh, th this account is told to us in, in Genesis chapter 15. God encountered Abram and said, look, I am going to undo the brokenness that is present in our world or address it with its remedy uh, and I'm going to do so through your family. And he made promises to, to Abram. He said he made promises of, uh, of, of a land where this promise could be fulfilled. He made the promise of protection. He made promise of provision, specifically the provision of prodigy, of, of pr pr provision of children, uh, generations. He would make him into a great nation. Genesis chapter 15. In order to make that covenant relationship, that covenant promise, um, God invoked um, an ancient tradition uh, that scholars believe originated with the Hittite 
uh, uh, peoples, the people that were around ancient Near East. And it was basically a, a, a contract signing process, typically used by a king uh, in establishing a relationship with someone who would be subservient to them. So maybe a lord of a city or, or, or another group of people, a tribe, um, where they would say, look, um, you want to enter into, into agreement with me? Um, probably in most cases it would be for uh, collaboration, economic collaboration, uh, political collaboration, military collaboration. Um, part of it would be you're agreeing to pay taxes. The, the king would stand and, and have the vassal, as there would be known, uh, take a sacrificial animal, um, slaughter it, uh, quarter it, um, and then the king would watch as the vassal would pass between the parts of the sacrifice, articulating the terms of, of what it is they were promising to the king. And then there would be a feast, and uh, the, 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 uh, the beast would be consumed. And uh, what was being said in this is that this is an, uh, an irrevocable uh, arrangement. Um, the animal, uh, you know, the roast beef can't be uneaten. <laughs> um, the, and, and now you are uh, indebted, indentured to, um, to this sovereign. So this is the kind of, uh, of contract that was being used back in Genesis 15. But the strange and wonderful part of it was that where in the Hittite process, the king would stand at a distance and watch as the vassal walked between it. Moses gathered the sacrifice and prepared it according to decorum, but then it says that, Mo that um, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and God himself in the, the picture with fire actually walked between the elements of the sacrifice. And, and what we find is this extraordinary act of grace where God not only serves as king in establishing the covenant and the terms of the covenant, but he took upon himself all of the obligations and responsibilities attached to keeping the promise. He became both the benefactor and the one who would deliver the, the solution as Abram stood, uh, slept sleeping. Um, Abraham and his, his, his children uh, would still experience the consequences uh, of uh, of breaking covenant with God, there would, be, there would be natural consequences that would occur. However, uh, God has been demonstrating and will continue to demonstrate through the pages of, of the histories that we've been reading that he would be faithful to that covenant promise regardless of the faithfulness of those with whom he has promised himself, to whom he's promised himself. And so at the foot of Mount Sinai, God was restating the terms of the covenant to the children of Israel, now a new generation, and then uses this really curious language where it says, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire on the mountain. And, and what he's doing is, is he's conflating together the generations, saying effectively when God was uh, making the promise to Abraham centuries before, when he made the promise to uh, your parents at Mount Sinai 40 years ago, he was making the promise with you. You were effectively there. And, and conflating it together, saying this is God continuing to bind himself in this, this promissory relationship, this privileged relationship through which his intent was both to, to, to be rightly represented to the world and thereby to issue invitation to be restored in, in friendship to Father God, to be restored in relationship to him. And through Jesus, 
you and, and, and I are invited into this covenant relationship with the Father. We're invited into covenant relationship with the Father through what Jesus referred to as the new covenant. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at that in a few minutes. We're gonna be looking at the table which speaks to that very covenant. But let me stay on track for now. So covenant is a binding agreement uh, between two or more parties. It's more than a promise. Um, it's unique in the category of, of contract. Um, but we would ask then, well, what principles govern uh, this covenant relationship? Uh, and we know that the children of Israel had already been in relationship with Father God, um, uh, but the terms of the relationship had never been so clearly spelt out as they came to be at Mount Sinai. And so now we see 40 years on, Moses is kind of preaching from that text, Exodus 20, preaching from that text to the children uh, of Israel on the plains of Moab. And in that sermon, he effectively gives kind of 10 memorable statements, sometimes referred to as the 10 words uh, or the 10 commandments. Uh, in part, he gives them 10 because they're memorable. There's 10 digits on your hands to be able to count them by, to little memory tools to be able to aid. And, 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 and eight of the you must nots come in the negative. Um, and then there are two uh, principles that are stated positively. And so you must not have any other God before me. So if we just were to shorten that down from memory, um, no other gods, uh, no idols, uh, don't bear God's name falsely. Now let me just pause on that one for a minute. Uh, th that's, that's not so much speaking about swearing with your words. It's speaking about swearing with your life. Uh, don't, don't it, it's saying that you're a, a member of the covenant community, but then living in constant covenant violation uh, against God. If you're going to wear the name of God, wear it accurately. Um, the fourth one is the first of the affirmative, the positively stated ones. Uh, keep the Sabbath. Um, honor your father and mother. Um, we'll use this hand over here. Um, don't murder. Uh, don't commit adultery, which of course goes two ways, right? If you're in a marriage covenant, uh, don't breach it. Um, if you're not in a marriage covenant, don't breach someone else's marriage covenant. Um, don't steal. Uh, don't give false testimony. Don't covet your neighbor, neighbor's wife. And don't covet your neighbor's property. There are several things that I think are really important to, to note about this. Um, that last one, while we reference it, um, separates the historic reality where a wife was considered to be someone's property, it was a she was a chattel uh, to, his, to his world. Um, God has separated that out and say, no, no, there is something specific and unique in the marriage relationship. Uh, it's identified different, differently. Um, in saying that, it's, it's worth pointing out also that the, these are addressed to men. I don't know if you, you heard um, that, that language present there. Moses is speaking into a, what was by and large a patriarchal society. And those who typically carried uh, the power in that society were male. And so effectively, this is a, a censoring, this is a limiting of the powerful. If we were to contextualize it into today, it would be if you are one who carries power, you are going to be held accountable to God with how you exercise that power. Um, the covenant principles firstly being placed on the shoulders of the leaders, um, reminding them that there are limits to how that power is going to be influenced, and that it works out in some of the other commandments here as well. 
something else that I want to draw to your attention. Notice that the first three words or commandments are about God. Know the God's before me. Uh, no graven images. No, don't make any idols. Um, represent my name rightly. Don't, don't um, uh, take my name in vain. Vertical in their relationship. The first three are about God. The next seven are horizontal in relationship. Uh, they are about living together in covenant community. What does it mean to be in relationship with God vertically and with one another in covenant community horizontally? And so as we see this, we're beginning to realize that in a very real sense, what Moses has given to the children of Israel here are, are, are kind of an Israelite version of a bill of rights. It's a bill of rights. There's, there are divine rights, that which we owe to God, and there are human rights, that which we owe to one another. So, so the first principle of covenant relationship is Yahweh's right to exclusive allegiance. So, so let me just explain here. Yahweh is uh, literally the, the name of God that he gave to, uh, to Moses. How will I know who I go, uh, who, whose name I go in? Uh, Yahweh. Mispronounced Jehovah for years. Um, uh, not spoken by uh, Orthodox Jew Jewish people for fear of taking his name in vain. Um, but the first principle is that that Yahweh has the right to uh, your allegiance, to your exclusive allegiance to him, and, and, and the same of all humanity. Um, the second right in this Bill of Rights, so no other gods, the second one would be Yahweh's right to proper representation, covered by the, the second and third commandments. Um, uh, no graven images, uh, don't, don't make idols, don't misrepresent, don't misrepresent me by making something out of wood and saying that's me, making something out of stone and saying that's me. Uh, don't misrepresent me. Uh, don't misrepresent me by wearing my name falsely. Um, uh, as a member of the covenant community, wear my name well. Um, and, and then the third principle moves then to that, the horizontal um, sets of commandments. Uh, the right of all members of the household to humane treatment. Now that's a reference to observe the Sabbath. That was an extraordinary command in, in its historical context. Um, when you know, the head of a household, those with power, uh, would, would be the only one who would ever expect time off. Um, and in order for me to get time off, you gotta work harder. <laughs> so, uh, but, but this was an extraordinary uh, limit to that where every member of the household, uh, the children, uh, servants in the household, even the livestock that might normally be expected to work hard are, are, are put into this cycle of work hard and then reprieve. I was talking to someone at the gym uh, the other day. They were talking about their own cycle of working hard and then reprieve. There's a principle that's present in society, and in, our, in humanity, which calls for us uh, to, to, to observe rest, to observe recovery, the right of the members of the household to, to fair, to equal treatment. Um, everybody needs to take a day off from the ordinary th throes of, of their work. Uh, number four, th the fourth um, uh, principle uh, to the covenant relationship uh, is the parental right, the parental right to respect. Honor your father and mother. Um, the right to life. Don't murder. Um, maybe valuable to note that the word that's used there um, in the Hebrew language is exclusively used for manslaughter and, um, and first degree murder. Um, it's never used for um, killing 
generally, uh, whether it's killing of an animal or uh, killing in the context of, uh, of a war um, or killing in the context of capital punishment, which you know, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, the right to life, don't murder. Uh, the right to fidelity in marriage, don't commit adultery. Um, the right to own property, don't steal. Somebody el- it's somebody else's, so don't take it. Um, the right to an honest and fair hearing in court, uh, don't give false testimony. The right to marital security, don't covet your neighbor's wife. They shouldn't have to worry about what you're thinking uh, or, or what you're intending to do. And, and then likewise, the, the the right to secure household, your household property. Uh, they shouldn't have to worry about whether someone's going to come and steal. If we're in the covenant community, these things should be taken for granted. And I hope maybe you're beginning to see in here um, kind of echoes. If you're, wondering, if you're wondering whether or not these principles, when enacted, make any difference, I would encourage you to look around. Because this wonderful nation in which we live was, at least in its intent, founded upon Judeo-Christian ethics. And we live as those who are the recipients of people who have generally said, yeah, this is right, right to secure your property, the right to marital security, uh, the right to to life, Um, parents should be respected, Um, household treatment needs to be humane. I mean, we live in a world that that would champion these and say, check, 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 yes, indeed, these are important things in our lives. And the reason is uh, that those that initially founded our nation came from other nations who were, as best they they could, were attempting to live according to a Judeo-Christian ethic. They, they were attempting to, even if, if they didn't know that was what it was called, they had been substantially informed uh, by the generations of those who, who attempted to be followers of God, attempted to live in these ways. We live as benefactors of that, this in our time and place. And so, in a similar way, the Those on the plains of Moab were looking forward to the time when they would be given a place and they would experience God's provision and they would experience prosperity in that place of his provision and they would experience peace in that place of his provision. We experience those things here. And it's by God's grace. It's by God's grace and even as it was referenced that he visits his blessing on a thousand generations of those who love him. And at least in measure, we can say we are the recipients of that benefit and that blessing. Now, if that all seems a little complex, and you say, look, could we, could we kind of distill this down to something a little bit simpler? Jesus actually did that for us. Um, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. At, at its most basic level, what is it that's expected? Listen to what Jesus said. Mark chapter, uh, chapter 12, I'm going to start at verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the discussion. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, in these words, Jesus is quoting from, the, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to look at that next week. It's referred to as the Shema. Uh, love the Lord, hear, O Israel. That's what the Shema means. Hear, O Israel. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
The second part, love your neighbors yourself, literally comes, uh, in, in other words, the words specifically are said in Leviticus 19, 18. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. However, the two together like this on the lips of Jesus are actually a restatement of the Ten Commandments at their fundamental principles. Love the Lord your God. That's referring to the vertical dimension of the Ten Commandments. Know the gods, no graven image, uh, don't take his name in vain. Um, the, Love your neighbor as yourself is referring to the horizontal dimension of the Ten Commandments. How to live in covenant community with one another. Begin by establishing a loving relationship vertically with God and receiving his love and receiving his forgiveness as one who, who frankly can't live perfectly according to his law. But he's made a way to issue, to, that we can walk in forgiveness despite that. And then having received his love and forgiveness, be one who is now living out of that love, issuing love to those around you, living in his love and, and allowing it to flow through you uh, to the world that's around you. Love God and love your neighbor. Um, you were invited to receive love, to respond to his love, and this, again, this gets at the heart of who God is and what he longs for, for his children. Longs that we would live in his love, restored to the Father. Longs that we would live in loving relationship with one another, uh, giving love, issuing love, uh, being respectful to one another, uh, living out the kinds of, of principles that are, are present um, in, in these covenant-relating principles that we refer to as the Ten Commandments. Well, let me pause uh, for a few minutes and, and just invite your questions. If you could text them or iMessage them to me, that would be particularly helpful to me. Um, um, sorry, the, um, maybe as I'm just waiting for, for some of those to come in, because sometimes there's a little tech lag. Um, you could be saying, look, you breezed over like some of the most profound statements of all of scripture rather quickly, you know, the Ten Commandments, and, and you're right that I did. Um, but I have no sort of sullying of conscience in doing so because we're actually gonna be lingering on this for quite a while. Um, much of the remainder of the book of Deuteronomy in Moses' sermon, is Moses' sermon actually unpacking each one of these commandments, each one of these words. And uh, so we're actually gonna find ourselves coming back to this passage multiple times in, in the weeks that are ahead. Um, looks like we've got a couple questions that have come in. What about the sins of our ancestors? Yeah, so that, that question is referring to uh, the statement that is here where it says, um, uh, idols, jealous, God, this is verse eight, um, I lay the sins of parents upon children. The entire family is affected, even children of third and fourth generations. So um, the real point of that text is to go to the next one. It's a, a statement of God's grace that he, lav he lavishes his unfailing love for thousands, a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So that's, that's the direction of the flow of the passage. That's the emphasis that's intended here. Um, and, and what Moses is speaking to, uh, to what God is speaking to here is, is the nature of consequence. Uh, that, that if I live a, a godless life, um, my children will be affected. And in fact, the, the, the effect will, can, can linger three, four generations. Um, and, and so it calls us back to, well, why do we live in covenant faithfulness to God? Why do we want to live you know, according to the principles that are being outlined here? Um, uh, because it's, it's where his blessing is experienced, not just in my life, but actually in the generations that would follow me. So it's, it's not... Um, it's not a 
that somehow they become guilty of my sin, that my children are guilty of my sin. That's not what, what was being said there at all. Any, any, any other questions? We had some good questions that were thrown out in the first service. Let's give it a second or not, because actually I found out there were about three questions that came in kind of after I said, okay, I'm going to move on. I'll just wait for a second. Yeah? Yeah, I'll take another one, sure. Wow. Yeah, what a great question. What a great question. So uh, what I've promised in here is to try to give a one-minute answer, um, and that is an intense question that, does, do, that demands uh, far more time than that and, does, and, and demands you know, knowing more of the environment and circumstance. Um, all I can do is uh, command my own life, my own intentions, um, all, I can't control uh, what you say, what you do, um, and so I stand before God accountable for myself, uh, regardless. So if somebody else you know, uh, cuts me off in the road, um, that's no excuse for me to give them the finger and you know, ram their car. Um, uh, I, I'm responsible before God in what I do, and, and I continue to be regardless of the sin that would be perpetrated against me. Um, so that would be a very short, very superficial answer to what I think could be a, a, a much, much more profound question. So um, if you ask that question, I would love to, uh, to chat, and if we can maybe grab a coffee together or something, I would be delighted. So, another one? Yeah, sure. Why are there, why are there two sets of so I think that's a reference to co two copies of the tablets being made. Yeah. Um, uh, it says that Moses came down from the mountain with two copies of the, uh, of the, the commandments. Um, and it was common in that society, um, common today, that you know, Phil and I make a contract together, he gets a copy, I get a copy, we two copies. There were two copies made. Um, both were kept in the Ark of the Covenant uh, before God. Uh, both were held there, in part because he was both the covenant, uh, the one who issued the covenant, and the one who would be held accountable to keep the covenant. So, yeah, those are good questions. I'm going to move on here um, just so that I don't get out of time. Uh, those are great questions. Thank you very much. And if you've got others, I would be uh, glad to attempt to, uh, uh, to address them. Um, so we go on then and we say, well, given all of this, why is covenant keeping so incredibly difficult? Uh, Jesus' brother James maybe kind of said it most succinctly, James chapter 2, verse 10, where, where James writes the following. He says, the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you murder someone, you have broken the entire law, even if you do not commit adultery. And we read that and we say, what? That's hardly fair, right? Like you say, like, but I got nine of them. You know, I just didn't get one of them. Nine out of ten used to be an A. What's, all of a sudden now it's a failing grade. And what it's beginning to point toward is the fact that the, the law, there's an interdependent character to the law. There's, there's an interdependent nature between the us and God, me and God, and the, the, the we and one another. They all came from one and the same God, and they all issue out of the law of love, love for God and love for one another. And so when we violate any one of them in sin, the entire group become, become violated. 
regardless of what sin it is. Because fundamentally, I can't undo what I did. I can't unmurder someone, right? You know, I, 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 can't, I can't unspeak something that I spoke in sin. I can't, un, I can't undo, unsee the lustful gaze, you know, that, that lingered. Um, I mean, I maybe could give back the something that I stole, but I've still, I can't undo the breach of, of, of trust that was lost in that action, the, the, the violation of relationship. And so uh, the, the law of love is violated. The relationship with God is fundamentally affected. The relationship with one another is fundamentally affected. And, and we say, well, then what's the remedy to the sin? What's the, what hope is there if this is the nature of, of covenant, promise, covenant making and covenant keeping? James goes on, fortunately, he says in verse 12, so whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of love, the law that set you free. Paul amplifies that. Romans 7, 24, he says, what a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's, you see, the only hope that lawbreakers have ever had is that a law keeper would come and give us his goodness. That we would be given his record of accomplishment. And he would take in exchange our record of violations. Jesus perfectly loved the Lord his God. With all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. And in his perfect obedience to the Father, his love for the Father... It led him to ultimately to the cross where he would offer his life and his righteousness, his perfection, and take from you and me my imperfection. Jesus demonstrated his love in this supreme sacrificial way. And he surrendered his life on the cross in atonement for sin. He perfectly kept the vertical relationship of the sets of commandments and in law of love he perfectly kept the relational set because in the giving of himself for us he, he, he supremely demonstrated um, what love among us would be. His life in exchange for ours. His perfection in exchange for our sinfulness. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And we begin to see that just as the first covenant was established with a sacrifice, and God was the only signatory to that covenant agreement. So too the, the new covenant was established with a sacrifice. And once again, God was the only signing authority. And we, the new people of God, are invited into covenant relationship with Father God through Jesus. And we stand as the new people of God alongside the first people of God and say, what kind of grace is this? I mean, what kind of God does this? How can it be that how can it be that he would be so loving and so intent on restoring relationship with us that he would go to such extraordinary lengths in order that we would be restored in friendship? What 
could I possibly do in response to such great love but respond with my whole life? Let's say, Lord, I'm yours. Um, the best of my ability, I'm going to begin to walk in ways, follow on paths that would, that would respect what you've done for me, that would honor what you've done for me. You're invited to receive love and then to live in response to that love. It's what, it's what the father heart of God longs for, is that his children would, in this relationship, then begin to know what it means to truly live as he intended us to live, with place, with provision, with prosperity, with, with peace. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come, but, but as they come, let me ask, um, would you like to be a perfect covenant keeper? Jesus invites you to do so through him. Believe in Jesus and turn to the Lord and you will be saved. We're going to remember the one who was the perfect covenant keeper in, in what he did on the cross for us through the celebration of communion together this morning. It's our practice to do this once, once a month. We are, we are taking bread, remembering that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, and he took the bread from the Passover meal, and he said, this represents my body, which is given for you. And then he took the cup from the Passover meal and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And we are going to remember together. I'm going to invite uh, the elders who are serving to come and distribute the bread and the cup. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, please join us in this act of remembrance, this experiencing of Christ together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if that just doesn't describe where you're at right now, we're super glad that you are here with us. And then let me ask that you would just let the elements pass. If this morning it's finally clicking, you're finally at the place where you're saying, look, this, this is making sense. I've been living my life Apart from God, I need, to, I need to acknowledge, confess my sin. I need to acknowledge that my, my brokenness has separated me from God. Um, I need to receive his forgiveness. Um, do so right now. And join us, perhaps for the first time, remembering what he has done for you and allowing you to be declared a perfect covenant keeper through Jesus. If you would hold the bread and hold the cup until we've all been served, I'll come back in just a couple of minutes and uh, we will consume the bread and cup together.